everybody, this is Eric Frank House from EFP, December 28th, 2017. Last one for 2017 before we move into the new year. And today we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, maybe because it has a lot to do with cartography, but dungeons. And I want to do dungeons in a different way. I think dungeons should tell a story and shouldn't be boring. So today we're going to get into that. If you hear any paper today, I'm trying, to, again, a new recording style. So and then it's episode 8. We're going to get into dungeons. All right, guys, let's get into the show. So I have been game mastering for a long time, and dungeons are part of all games. It doesn't matter if you're playing fantasy, if you're playing sci-fi, if you are uh, doing something in a modern time frame. Dungeons still exist. The trappings are just different. Everything is a bunch of rooms and hallways that connect, and that's what dungeons are. Our fantasy versions are a little more elaborate than what we have in modern days. But if you look at things like sewers or space stations and sci-fi settings, or maybe even tunnels or mining facilities, for example, uh, underneath Detroit has salt mines, and that would be in a great way to do an adventure. But dungeons are everywhere. So the topics I want to go over today in this dungeon section is why do they exist, who makes them, because I think that's pretty important, if there are traps or not, how the hell do you handle puzzles, and what are NPCs inside of a dungeon? So we're going to go into that. I'm going to start with a why right here before breaking into another thing. I think I can do this under the time frame. But why is a dungeon built, and, and who built this thing? Well, there's a lot of reasons dungeons exist. Uh, usually it's the underground style, where it's a, a bunch of tunnels connecting into catacombs or buildings in your fantasy settings. In modern, you might be dealing with sewer systems that pump water and sewage throughout the city. If you're doing something mine-related, maybe it was a mining and they branched off to go into an area that has more whatever mineral they are looking for. These are the key components, components on why you're going to run into dungeons. Corridors connected to small rooms. But dungeons don't have to be small. They can be huge. It can be huge underground catacombs. But why was it built? So, for example, I think it's important to think about the purpose of the dungeon originally. Hundreds of years ago, 50 years ago, thousands of years ago. And I'm going to go with fantasy for most of these, but I'll, I'll drop in sci-fi and modern for things as we go through. So examples are layers, um, living quarters of some form underground, uh, entrance to another kingdom. Maybe it's a special thing. Maybe, maybe it's something that you got, uh, got into because you're going into the Underdark if you're playing in a classic, traditional setting. If it's modern, maybe you're going through the sewers to go from one building to another. I ran a game that was based out of Madison, Wisconsin, where they went from one building through underground sewers, which were actually used to get to and from the Capitol building to do things. So maybe they're doing that. And they should serve a purpose. And the reason Dungeon serves a purpose is it was built for a purpose. Someone doesn't just build a dungeon and go, yeah, I just built it because it has to make sense in what you're running. And that leads into the who for me. Well, before who... I should also say why and what. Is this thing all metal? Is it stone? Is it natural carvings? Is it tunneled out by a belay? Is it um, a beholder that carved it with its eye beam? This will give you a visual style to be using when you run the dungeon for your players. But who built it gets into some of that as well. And who could be hard? Who could take forever? Like why? Why? Why would it? Why would someone build this? It takes so long. And, and who would do this? Is it a mad wizard? Is it a natural habitat? Like bears use caves for things. Did nature build it itself? Is it winding root system of a dead tree? Um, if it's in science fiction, is it on a moon? It's been cored out and you're now going through looking for the remnants of a team that was lost there. That who can be anything. 
But pick a who. Make sure you do that. Put it at the top of the dungeon sheet. Who built this? And I think some of those options work pretty well. I'm going to go back to the idea of the salt mines in Detroit. Underneath Detroit, there's a bunch of salt mines, and that stuff was mined out to salt the city. But now you could use that. I think I used it for a group of superheroes who were hiding there from people who are telepathic because the telepathic abilities didn't go through. Um, I would use it for a supernatural thing to hide from demons and devils and witches because it's salted. It's naturally salted. It's safe. These are the kind of things that I think about when who built them and why they built them there. They kind of correlate and go together. So for the next part, we're going to go into traps and, and how you use traps in dungeons. And are they really fucking necessary? Traps. Now, we've all played in a fantasy game of D&D &D or whatever your fantasy system of choice is. Where there's a trap at every fucking door and every single room and every single floor tile where you feel like you're crawling five foot by five foot. Where the idea of tension becomes tedious. So I want you to think of traps in a new light. And I like traps. Don't get me wrong, they're a big part of, of games. But they don't always have to be a pitfall, a bear trap, a spike, or a blade. There are many other kind of traps. And if you're playing in fantasy, modern, or sci-fi, those traps can vary hugely. So let's get into some of the, the, the questions you should ask yourself about a trap. First off, what was the point of this trap? Is it there for a reason? For example, does it protect the front door to get into the building or the back door to get into the building? And if it's in a fantasy setting, does that have a trap on it to paralyze the person out front? Set off an alarm. A trap doesn't have to damage somebody. Let's be honest, man. Cleaning blood off your front doorstep sucks shit. But maybe that trap instead tases them, electrocutes them into paralysis, and they're out for X amount of hours, giving a chance for the person who owns the place to find them. That's inventive. That makes sense. While murdering someone who does it takes a certain type of personality, putting somebody in a paralytic state so that you can deal with them later, that is somebody who cares about the person you're stealing. So think about those. Those kind of traps can be in all eras. Um, also, is this trap on a door or is, is this, a, for example, if you want to build a pitfall trap into your dungeon, that means you are digging out a hole to make a pitfall that falls down into it. Why are you doing that? Is it to kill them? I mean, unless you're a wizard running crazy experiments, which is an idea for a dungeon that the people know going in, but if this is a thousand years old and there's a pitfall in it, and that's to capture people in here so they can, when they come in to check on the catacombs, they can find these dead bodies of people and loot them, and then maybe there's information on them, especially if it's modern, they probably have an ID or something on them, or, you know, you can do tooth analysis and so on. And fantasy is so they can speak with dead. Like, why are their bodies in these pits? What are the pits' purpose? Was it a natural hole that they found that they turned into a really sleek, um, pitched f wall so you can't climb out, you'd need rope to get out? Does it close up so you can't do that? Like, what would be the reason for it? Make sure you have a reason for your traps. But also, traps don't have to be a mechanical thing that someone built. They could be something natural. So let's take those salt mines into example. They're really old. They've been dug out a lot. And maybe water washes through here on and off, enough to where some of the hanging salt out of the place is dangerous. And the idea of sound or spells being cast in them caused them to fall from the ceiling. Dude, large chunks of salt, even not spiked, just getting smashed could be a great version of a trap that's there for a reason. It's not a trap because you set it there. It's a trap because it's been undisturbed. So think about traps in a different light. They tell stories by themselves. Uh, one thing I would say is traps that track. 
Modern games, uh, RFID tags, trackers, things like that are normal, but you can do it in fantasy as well. If you tag them with paint, like when you steal money in modern day and a paint bomb goes off, you're colored in it. It's easy to find that person. But if they tag them with something they can locate, locate object and fantasy spells are great. So maybe it shoots them with a dart, and that dart is what the person uses a locate spell for to find them. Maybe they don't get it out in time, or maybe it leaves something in them. Like when they pull it off, the needle stays. Unless they take the time to dig it out, they may flee from that area or do it at the end of the adventure. Or the person's hiding in their house that can locate them. You know, like if they come home because the alarm went off, they know that they're there. This allows them to track that person. So think about that. Think about traps and what they are. And I think that it is important to remember poisons are expensive, but damn are they amazing. A poison that drains all your dexterity or constitution or stats so you can't move anymore or if it drains your intellect so you're too dumb to get out of the room you just locked yourself in. Imagine you're in a room, it's a person's study. You open a desk drawer, it hits you, and it drains your intelligence to a one. And you're like, well, I'm going to get out. You're like, well, but the door's locked. <clears throat> well, I'm going to pick it. Yeah, but you don't remember how to do that anymore. You lost skill points. You lost something. It's a good way to keep people there for a later date. And then they were in there to learn stuff anyway, and they can't even memorize it now. That's a good trap. That's a story trap that drives something more in your game. So with traps being talked about, I want to go into puzzles. That's going to be the next part. Puzzles are very difficult, but everyone thinks Rubik's Cube. It doesn't need to be that kind of thing. So puzzles are classic, and I think the puzzle most people remember is the Sphinx. An idea of it asking questions you have to answer to get something in return. But there are different kind of puzzles. And puzzles don't always have to be solve this, you know, XYZ numbers is this puzzle that we see in video games so often. I think a great example of puzzle solving is the new Zelda Breath of the Wild. If you haven't played it, give yourself a, a couple hours of the game and you'll run into one. But there's not one way to solve it. There's numerous ways. All there is is a goal, and it is up to you as the player to figure out how to do it. And those are fun puzzles. I think they're a great style of puzzle for tabletop RPGs. But what if the puzzle isn't a puzzle in the fact that, you know, here's a rhyme, what is an answer to it? You know, that kind of a, a limerick. What instead of, it's a collapsed bridge. On the other side of that bridge is a dying person. And the puzzle that you have to solve is getting across this bridge. The classic, you know, lemmings feel to things. Now the players are trying to figure out how to cross that chasm. If it's modern, they can't fly. Are they going to build a bridge? Are they going to chop a tree down and put it across? We had dwarves in a fantasy game. They needed to get to an island. And they refused to go on a boat. And they spent two months building a land bridge out of that. Literally to deal with a dragon. Two months. They built fortifications around the outside. Camped there. Built a land bridge. That, that was crazy to me. Like That was an answer. We're not getting out of the boat. So that's just not happening. So puzzles don't have to be the, the traditional puzzle. So, for example, I think the collapsed bridge looks well. It works well. Um, secret doors can have puzzles. And, and those kind of puzzles for a secret door could be finding something in a room to make sure it opens. Yes, you can roll for it. But once you find the object, how does it function? Those are cool little puzzles. I think the way a room looks could lead to puzzles. The way things are organized, uh, seeing markings on the floor where furniture used to be. Maybe they're covering a secret door or something below or a rune in the center. Maybe there's an illusion in the entire room. And it's these glyphs in the room that you have to activate to power down that illusion. If it's sci-fi, 
puzzles are everywhere. Computers, alien races, things left behind. Uh, I think Mass Effect Andromeda did some good stuff with that, even though the people didn't like that. There were puzzles in that you had to solve that these are icons you had to arrange in a certain way. And it's really easy to cut a bunch of little tiles or dominoes and paint your own logos on them or symbols on them in an order that gives a tangible physical puzzle they have to solve. Because nothing is better than setting down something in front of them, starting a clock and be, I'm, this is how long you get to fix this before things go south. That kind of puzzle that they actually have to do. And make it solvable. But putting the timeline on it makes something difficult. So that's something cool that you can do to put things together. I've actually used a physical puzzle before. There was X amount of pieces and told them they had 30 minutes to do it. Well, they're like, all right, we put it together. It's this piece. I'm like, oh, you put it together the wrong way. Like, what do you mean? Well, the image is on the back. What? Oh, yeah, you notice the pieces have a drawing on the back. What I did is put the puzzle together, drew on the back of the puzzle. And then when they put it together, it was face down. They're like, well, how do we get it off? Now, I had one group smart slide it off on a piece of cardboard or book, I think, at the time, and then flip it over and put it on the table. And other ones took it apart in sections, put it back together, and they ran out of time, and horrible stuff happened. But it was a spell component on the back of the puzzle. Those are the kind of ingenious puzzles that are simple, they physically have to do, and it adds a layer to your game. Think about that for doing puzzles. So thinking of puzzles, who, what, when, where, and why an actual place was there, is it a thousand-year-old, was somebody new living in it, you know, how are they using this mad wizard's place for their own things in modern time or in sci-fi? Maybe, depending on if you have magic in your world, especially like the new version of Starfinder that's out, their magic exists. You really have to think about those things. So I want to go into NPCs and dungeons and how I use them. It's short and brief, but it, I think it's important to have some living element to deal with or dead elements to deal with. Now, NPCs and dungeons... A lot of people think a dungeon is this whole hollowed-out thing with nothing living in it. But to me, people move into dungeons, like bears, again, move into caves, or people find old missile silos to make a base into. Maybe there has an underground labyrinth of tunnels that go to other silos throughout a, a state. Those kind of things matter, and NPCs move into them. So remember that you need NPCs. And my favorite representation is actually in a movie. Um, and it wasn't a dungeon, but it was the beginning of something. In Labyrinth, you had the two door knockles, the knockles, two door knockers that were the combination of puzzle, NPC, and entrance into something new. And those two knockers were one of the most amazing things I've seen in a movie. Those kind of things can be used for NPCs as well. Remember how we talked about the guy across the bridge? Well, that's a trap. It's a trap mixed with a puzzle with an NPC that can give you solutions across the way if you know how to talk to him. Maybe he knows there's another way there. NPCs give the GM the ability to lead players into a dungeon and give them reasons that the dungeon exists. NPCs can even be things like books that speak, old text, old audio recordings, things that tell the story about what the dungeon was and what it is now and why it is being used or why everyone left it. Those kind of NPCs are important. Remember that guy we said at the bottom of the pit? Also an NPC. They speak with dead in all fantasies. If you're an investigator in a modern setting, you climb down there, you might be able to say how he died and why, or what he was carrying with him. Maybe he has a key. These are NPCs that speak to you in different ways, not through just verbal means, but through the story of the death of that person tells you. But adventures without NPCs are dry. 
The GM needs a way to convey information. You can do enough through notes, but nothing's better than being able to speak to them. Someone in a prison cell. People who live there, maybe people taking up residency in this area, but they don't go in certain parts of it anymore because it's too dangerous. They've locked it off. The mines into Moria were super dangerous. But imagine if dwarfs still lived in the front half, but there's only a few of them, and they locked it off because they couldn't go there anymore. Those are NPCs that you can put in a dungeon that make sense. So think about all these things that we talked about today. When you make your next dungeon, I recommend making a checklist the checklist is these things. Why was it built? Who built it and who lives there now? Or who resides in there now? Are traps really necessary? And if they are, they serve a purpose. They're not just there for people to search constantly. Remember to reward your players for solving these kind of problems. Puzzle or no puzzle? And is it a traditional puzzle? Is it a puzzle in like a bridge collapsing? Or is it a puzzle as I'm putting something in front of them to actually do with a time limit? Don't forget to think about what the place is made of and how it looks so you can describe an overarching style of your dungeon and what it looks like. And then you only have to decide specifics and rooms instead of re-explaining the same thing over and over. No one wants block text they have to read every time they go in a room. A text should only hold new information. A sewer is a sewer until you walk into a room and it is the cleanest place you've ever been in. That is something you describe. Last, NPCs. How do you use them in a dungeon? Every dungeon should have them. It could be a phone left behind that they communicate with somebody who used to be in there or someone who's still trapped. Make that little checklist and fill it out when you make your next dungeon and tell me if it doesn't make a difference for your players and yourself and how you run it. So that's that for episode eight. And in closing, I was gonna say dungeons fucking rock. If you're not using them, you should. But they are another tool or an arsenal in your toolbox you know, your GMing kit. You shouldn't use them all the time. You should put love into them when you use them. Otherwise, you're just making people slog five foot square through five foot square. Remember to keep these things in mind as you build out your dungeon or really most things. And if you need a GM or a cartographer, let me know. Call in. If you need GM advice, I'll answer however I can. Anchor app is free. You download it. It's on iPhone, Android, damn near everything now. You might be screwed if you're on a Windows phone. But hit that little call in the button in the bottom left-hand corner. Leave a message. I'll put you on the show. And remember, we are now, we, I, I am now in podcast form. So whatever podcast catcher you're using, look up EFP. You should find that brown and orange compass and know that's me. So have a great new year, everybody. We're going into 2018. The Patreon project is going well. We've had new people join. Episode 3 will be out here in the next seven days. And if you don't know, you'll be finding me on DriveThruRPG very soon. EFP is now going to be on there as Eric Frankhouse Presents, which is the full company name. And I will be putting out Patreon projects there in finished form. So if you didn't subscribe and you didn't find it, you're going to be able to find them there in their completed versions. Soon, you'll be seeing something special from me, and along with some of the team who actually helps design stuff for EFP, I have a cipher game that's going to be coming out called War Paint. I'm not going to announce a date yet, because that always, you know, kicks you in the balls, but I'm going to be putting it out, and this is a combination of transhumanism, cyberpunk feel, think Ghost in the Shell, meets Kaiju. That's right, large robots and transhumanistic people warring in this super sci-fi version of our world. 
It's went really well. People have loved it so far. And it has a lot of the pop culture feel of these hunters being pilots, being famous and sponsored by these new age groups and their hounds, their mech that they pilot in wearing all of the logos like NASCAR or sports of our current day. So get ready to see that on shelf sometime. I want to say in the next 12 months, but I'm not going to promise. But if you're in the Patreon project, there's a good chance you're going to get the beta sooner than later. All right, everybody, that is it from me at EFP. Have a great New Year's. Hope everybody enjoys it. Play games with each other and go roll some fucking dice. Talk to you guys later.